It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast with me, Mandy Bell, Guardian's beat reporter for MLB.com, and Sarah Langs, researcher and reporter for MLB.com as well. Sarah, I am really excited because usually we have to wait painfully until the very end of the show to talk about all the fun things in baseball. You know, we just get through all the stats and all that stuff. And then we get to our favorite parts of baseball. But we can actually start with it this week because you came up with this great idea. You texted me late last night. We're talking on Memorial Day here this afternoon. You texted me later last night and you're like, how about we talk with uh, Brett Blue Ice, who is our MLB's uh, director of social production, uh, after we've seen all these videos of players stopping by headquarters, doing all of these fun things. The big one for me this past week was Adley Rutschman going undercover at the MLB store, and he was hilarious. I didn't realize how funny and good of a dude he seems like. So that was so fun. So Sarah, thank you for the idea. And since it was your idea, how about you go ahead and introduce the topic further? Absolutely. So we've talked with uh, Sydney Wolf was that yeah, last year yeah. after the Little League Classic, and we love our colleagues in the social department here at MLB. And I really think that this group does an amazing job of hyping up our players and showing their personalities. And as Mandy mentioned, I was sitting here on Sunday thinking, what are we going to talk about on Monday? And I knew we would want to talk about Adley going undercover at the shop, Juan Soto going, uh, where's Waldo style, trying to find photos where's of himself. <laughs> it was so good. And then I realized that we talk about these videos all the time at the end of our show. We should bring in one of the masterminds behind it, Brett who is here with us today, thank you for joining us, and just talk about how these ideas come about and what what all goes into these office visits that players have been doing really since we moved to this new office in uh, 2020. Yeah, glad to be here. Always an honor to join Sarah, and nice to, to meet you finally, Mandy, as well. Nice to meet you. Um, the Adley... Um, story kind of goes back a little bit to uh, I had met Adley a week, maybe a couple of days into his MLB career. He went to Yankee Stadium and maybe his first road trip. And I was so excited to like meet this new fresh face of baseball. And he was definitely like quiet, didn't want to answer any of the questions I was asking because they were all like, you know, what's your favorite uniform and this and that. And he's like, I got to be here for a little while before I can start doing this. And I was like, all right, you know, that makes sense. And as he then had an amazing, you know, half of the season with the Orioles, Sydney Wolf, who you mentioned, uh, her and I went out to Oregon to visit Adley this offseason and uh, with our player marketing team and just to watch him work out. And you know, had other Oregon State guys there. Um, Mick Abel was there. Um, and we learned him and I have a, a favorite show in common, uh, sketch comedy show, I Think You Should Leave, written by Tim Robinson on Netflix. Um, it's not the most appropriate show for the audience, but uh, <laughs> a hilarious show, and it's so quotable, so quotable. What I do? Yes, okay, Alana likes it too, great. Um, and so Adley had like put a caption on an Instagram post about this show, so going out to Oregon, I already knew some topics I wanted to bring up if I, if I got the chance. So we did it, we put a link out on Twitter uh, when we did this in the off season, and it got over a million views. So I was like, all right, like, this show has kind of a cult following. And so I had the idea when I found out when EJ from Player Marketing told us he was coming back into the office in New York, I was like, all right, I got an idea. Like we've seen undercover shows before. And we, so I mixed in the, I think you should leave lines. I was in his earpiece basically. So to, to paint the picture for everybody, it's Adley is a broad shouldered man. Okay. This is a big, strong dude. 
Uh, he does not look like me, basically. So we, we both put on these MLB store employee polos, but uh, disguising uh, tall, strong, handsome man like Adley was not easy. Um, he was recognized by a lot of people, but uh, yeah, so I was in his earpiece and uh, we were both kind of mic'd up and I was telling him, hey, like, use this line from the show here and there. And and the rest was really just him, though. Like, he he is so funny. Um, could definitely host SNL one day, no doubt. I'm going to stop talking and let you guys ask a question, but um, he was better than I ever could have dreamed of. He's He's awesome. I laughed a couple times watching that. I loved when he was standing outside the store and he said, can I just throw a ball at somebody? And he like tossed it up. Yeah. He said catch and the guy just watched it drop in front of him. I thought that was super funny. The dog walked by and he yelled puppers and he was like super excited to see the dog. It just seems like he's a really genuine person. And that's why the stuff that you guys do is so important because people don't understand that athletes are humans. Like you, you just look at them like they're just this player and um, sometimes you can get frustrated whenever they're not playing well, or you get really excited whenever they're on a rip and a tear, but there's no, like, you don't really understand that there's a human side of them and they're just people who could be funny, who could be, uh, whatever, like they're interested in art and there's different things that going into it. So to see the side of these players that you guys portray is so fun. And so like, what goes into it for you guys of like figuring out okay, who can we maybe try to reach out to? How do you then start to then pick what is the best possible situation to put them in to really showcase their personality? Yeah, so I mean, part of it goes to trying to like research like Sarah and you do probably more than anybody. Um, it's just a different kind of research, right? So like knowing Adley liked this TV show and I like it, I'm like, well, I know there's a cult following and like Alana jumped on to say, so I'm like, this is going to resonate with other people. So I could send you 50 screenshots of people being like, well, I guess I have no choice but to be an Adley Rushman fan now. And what, baseball, what we need is people to become fans of players, right? So like, I'm, you know, I grew up a Yankee fan, so at 7 o'clock I would watch every Yankee game. Even if I loved Mike Trout, if he was playing at the same time, I wasn't going to watch. But with social media, I'm going to follow Adley's journey on Instagram now. I'm going to follow his TikTok. I don't have to be an Orioles fan to do that, but it still keeps me engaged in the league and knowing that, you know, we have similar interests. So that's my goal as, you know, head of social production, whatever. You know, I want people to see the fun side of people. When Juan Soto came in this week, I didn't ask him one question about baseball. We spent an hour with him and we didn't talk about baseball. We know his eyesight is incredible. He has one of the best eyes potentially ever this game has ever seen. So Sydney Wolf on my team was like, what about like an I spy? And then it came to where's Waldo? And then I'm like, what about where's Soto? Like, let's find him. And so our MLB design team just hides him in these little images. And I, I kid you not, I can send you guys the, the photos offline. It took me, I had to ask our designer, Xavier, I was like, where are, where are the <laughs> sodas? I do not know where they are. And like, I'm not lying at all. Juan found each of them in like five seconds. It was incredible. Um, so... So yeah, it goes back to research and it's just a different kind of research, knowing what these guys like to do off the field and how maybe people can relate to them a little bit better. One of my favorites from last year, I think, was when uh, Jose Trino came in and you did a whole video with him framing things because he is a really good framer as a catcher. I remember, uh, you know, different uh, framing someone for taking a sandwich and framing for whatever else. I thought that was really fun. Do you have a favorite sort of one of these videos that you guys have done or a couple favorites? Yeah. We'll listen to a few. <laughs> so Adley is definitely going to be my new number one just because being like just watching him, it was like I was watching a live reality TV show and being in his ear to hear his like commentary. And I have to point out really quick that Adley was recognized by a lot of people in New York. And so like Midtown New York, we had done this with that same guy you just mentioned, Jose Trevino. We did like a little man on the street content with him a couple weeks ago. And Jose, first of all, is one of the greatest human beings you'll ever meet. Great guy. Um, but like New Yorkers in Midtown, as you guys know, don't really want to be stopped or bothered on the street. So like Jose was having some trouble getting people to realize I'm the catcher of the Yankees. Adley, the amount of people that recognized him was honestly astronomical. And I think that speaks to hopefully that the game and our marketing efforts are working. 
um, being in Midtown New York and him being recognized. So anyway, Adley number one, um, Corbin Burns probably number two. He came in. Uh, he's known for having this incredible cutter. So he did like Corbin. I'm Corbin Burns, and I like to cut things. And this was kind of like a old Sports <laughs> Center commercial. Um, and so like Sydney again, she plays the. She has to act in all of these a lot of times. So you know he had actual scissors while holding her hair, and she was like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "I, I just like to cut things." Um, <laughs> he would cut people in line, um, and so. That one was was really good. My, this actually, my I'll say third favorite, but it might be my first to actually watch it. We have an employee, Kaylin, Kaylin Ashford Jones, who works at MLB, and Hunter Green came in, and this is like Hunter Green's rookie season. I said, Hunter Green, you only know one speed. Like this guy throws the easiest 100 you've ever seen, and so Kaylin's in the back, and he says, Hunter, like, can you throw me a, can you hand me a muffin, and. This is not like a production shoot. This is just in the middle of the office. So Hunter takes the, the muffin and we told him just like, you know, you can lob it. And he's like, nah, I'm good. And he just fires this muffin and pelts uh -oh. <laughs> Kalen right in the chest. Poor Kalen. Like, and, and then he goes and picks him up. Like part of what's amazing about it is it's all raw. Like this isn't rehearsed stuff that we're doing. Um, so Hunter was great about it. Kalen, he's okay. He has like a muffin imprint on his chest still, but um, <laughs> And then maybe Edwin Diaz, uh, you know, his his entrance music was becoming a really big thing last year, of course. And Edwin was like, I'll do whatever you want to do with this. And so we had him walk through the office and tell people that it was closing time. So we put the music on in the background and he just kept shutting everyone's laptops. And we told the people he was going to shut their laptops. But, you know, it's it's cool to see like MLB employees have to kind of like act in these things and treat these dudes like they're just regular human beings in the office and uh that's what we try to do right like we're not coming in and nobody's asking them for autographs and things like that it's just it's just being real um and treating them like everyday people which they they don't really get that often obviously um and the last one i'll say is daniel vogelbach another dude who is just like amazing personality he wanted to come to our christmas party to our holiday party at mlb and uh, he actually brought his own like signed cards, Daniel Vogelbach, happy holidays to hand out to employees and other people on the street. And so I was like, let's I'm Jewish, but I was like, let's do a Santa theme here. And uh, we we got him a Santa bag and I MLB, we bought a bunch of like Mets gear and stuff and we mic'd him up and we went through the store and handed out autographs and other stuff like that just to kind of like. But but these guys want to do this, right? Like this is the stuff that isn't pulling teeth for them. Like they're mostly really good human beings, at least the, the dudes I mentioned for sure. So um, those are some of my favorites, some fun ones and then some philanthropic ones. And uh, but yeah, uh, all the, all of these guys are like and the Soto one might get get up there pretty soon. There's some more stuff you haven't seen just yet. But uh, we had him like show off his favorite emojis uh, and make the faces and all that stuff. Uh, but yeah, I mean, just the office visits are a great time and shout out to our player marketing team for, for bringing all these guys in every week. So can it be even more fun whenever you have multiple guys or when you have teammates coming in? I know that one of the ones oh. that I saw, like whenever you have uh, CJ Abrams and Dom Smith, Smith came in for the what is it? The water cup challenge. Whenever yeah. you're trying to fill up each oh person takes turns to fill up the cup without getting it to spill over. What's it like whenever yeah. you're getting to interact with teammates, especially whenever they're making something a competitive setting setting? I'm sure that's enjoyable to watch. Yeah. And honestly, Mandy. So first of all, also shout out Dom and CJ. Dom Smith, if you've never gotten to spend time with him, is like you can never have a bad time around this dude. <laughs> Electric, um, but also competitive. Right. So it's like they like to do stuff against one another. That isn't normal baseball stuff. And again, Sydney and my other uh, coworker Chase came up with they're like, oh, this happens on TikTok. It's one V one. We can do this. Usually it's some of the blindfold, which Michael Claire of MLB.com wanted to have them wear his bandana. He said, no, that's disgusting. Uh, sorry, Mike. But uh, the one problem with that one, Mandy, is that we thought it would take like two minutes for them uh -oh. to spill the water over, and it was legitimately like 10 minutes long. Um, oh, my God. Because they were so into it that they're like, we're not, I don't want to lose to him. So, um, but yeah, the teammate ones are great. Having them go, you know, 1v1 uh, in anything. These guys are competitive. They're, you know, Major League Baseball players. So, you mix those personalities with the competitive nature and, and it's it's fireworks sometimes so those dudes were great too loved having them in i know i'm biased because we love baseball we work with you we love you but no other sport 
is marketing its players this way. And I really think you and the entire team, everyone involved, as you said, player marketing, really deserve a lot of credit. I mean, you know, we've seen how mic'd up moments are so great, but now everyone does that. And it feels like this is almost the next frontier in showing what guys' personalities are. And as you're saying, that they're normal people who just do things and happen to also hit baseballs really hard or throw them really hard as well. So thank you for all you're doing with this. I mean, every time I know there's an office visit coming, I know someone is there. I just get so excited to see what you guys are going to come up with. And these videos are all outstanding. And if anyone is listening and has not seen these, you can find them on MLB, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Um, I probably retweet a ton of them. Mandy probably has too. There are lots of places to find them and I'm sure there's so much more to come. So thank you, Brett, so much for joining us and for all of this. Yep, thank you so much, Brett. Uh, we'll take a quick break and then Sarah and I can get into uh, Soto. Juan Soto, we've talked about him enough. Let's continue talking about him. We all know Sarah can't talk enough about him, so let's get into more Soto talk. We have Rangers coming up and then, of course, our favorite moments from baseball over the past week, so stay with us. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm Mandy. That's Sarah. And we have, I mean, two weeks in a row. I know we had a miss last week, but two weeks in a row for us that we can talk Juan Soto, which all is right in the world again when I see a headline about Juan Soto and I see the byline of Sarah Langs. Like, it's been way too long since we've done this. So, of course, diving right into all things Juan Soto. Um, and so I, I think what he, w- he had to miss today or he was out for injury, but they expect him to be back in the lineup Tuesday. Nothing too concerning there. And Juan Soto seems to be more Juan Soto than we've seen in a very long time. He does seem to be. So I updated these stats when we talked two weeks ago about basically what he did in his first 26 games and what he's done since. So those first 26 games, just to recap, 178 average, 339 on base, 344 slugging. Not what we're used to seeing from Juan Soto. But now, since then, this is since April 27th, so we're now talking about more than a month. At the time of this recording, I'm telling you about 27 days, uh, 27 games of Juan Soto in 118 plate appearances, 344 average, 500 on base, 667 slugging. That is the Juan Soto we're used to seeing. He crushed a home run at Yankee Stadium on... uh, Friday, sorry, sense of time as we mm-hmm. have discussed this. Always a difficulty when it's we're in sports, but on Friday, 114.1 miles an hour off the bat, I believe. Absolutely crushed it. <laughs> he was on the list. I had a list of most home runs in first five career games on the road at Yankee Stadium. And it was uh, Matt Williams and then him sort of had something like four home runs in his first five games at Yankee saying No, no, of course, this is a player who loves the spotlight. And yes, on the road at a stadium sounds really specific. But if you're going to go on the road at a stadium, you're going to be talking about Yankee Stadium. I know that you're never one for qualifiers. Whenever there's too many qualifiers involved, it's not as cool of a stat because you're trying. It's like the people are trying too hard to make it cool rather than the event being cool itself. So I get it. But whenever it gets the Sarah pass that it's okay, then you know it's legit because it doesn't always get the Sarah pass. And so, I mean, one, he absolutely obliterated that ball. I'm 
as we talk about a lot on this, I, I don't get to see everything as it's happening. I don't get to see everything live, but did see that clip pop up on my timeline. And I think you're right. It was Friday at the time that we're recording this um, that I uh, that I saw that pop up. And I just thought immediately, because I think that's what the baseball world has been trained to think is when Juan Soto's going well, it's like, all right, Sarah better be having a field day right now, cooking up some stuff because you're the queen of Juan Soto stats. So um, I thought it was fun that you were able to dig into it a little bit more. Was there anything that you found whenever you're digging into his stats and looking exactly why he's back or how he's back and difference of what he had been? since the trade happened is there anything that stood out to you that was actually surprising not surprising but maybe the opposite in a way i think looking at why he struggled early on and looking at why he was doing better later in the season since that date april 27th it was sort of what i was hoping to see and i'll explain that and I think that's a good thing because it's very fixable. It's very much something that we know Juan Soto can sort of self-correct himself to do. And that is hitting the ball in the air. So we talk about this a lot. And I mean, going back to maybe the one of our early podcasts together when we recorded in person together at the All-Star Game last year, after Soto won the Derby, we talked about how Soto had done the Derby because he wanted to fix his swing and get himself to hit the ball in the air more. So one stat that I've talked about a lot on this show is sweet spot rate. So the idea of sweet spot rate is instead of looking specifically at ground ball rate or line drive rate, fly ball rate, Sweet spot is a certain um, range of launch angles. It's from 8 to 32 degrees, which is essentially the good line drives and fly balls, which is the goal of hitting. To get the ball in the air, not super high, not a pop-up, but also not hit a ground ball. And in his first 20, uh, 26 games of the year, that first span I talked about, Soto's sweet spot rate was just 18%. So just for context, you probably want that to be around 30% so that about a third of the time you're making that ideal type of contact. So being at 18% is obviously not what he wants. If you look at ground ball rate, it was mostly that he just had a really high ground ball rate. Now, if you look since that point, his sweet spot rate is up to 33%. So that is a huge jump. And the thing is, he has been hitting the ball hard all year. If you look at the hard hit rate leaderboard, he is towards the top, still in that sort of 50%-ish range, which is partially the fact that it is really early in the season still, but it also shows you something he's done throughout his career, which is hit the ball really hard. So the issue early in the season, what I am saying I was sort of comforted to say, is he was crushing the ball just into the ground. Now he's crushing the ball, but into the air. And we know that if you have a hard hit ball, your batting average and slugging percent on that is going to be higher but the mitigating factor is going to be hitting it onto the ground. So the reason I say I was comforted by that is that if you go back to the last two home run derbies, and I love to use the home run derby as a data point, I know it's an exhibition, but it matters for these guys. And Juan Soto said the first time he did the derby in 2021, that I hope it fixes my swing, trying to put the ball in the air. That's what I've been trying to do the whole year, so I hope it fixes mine. Then last year, entering the Derby, he literally said, well, it worked last year. So to me, that having been the issue early in the season is something that we know this very intelligent hitter 
can look at what's going on and say, okay, I can fix this. I've done that before. Yeah. As you were sort of explaining all of that, I started to think like his trade partner, Josh Bell, who went along with him, I'm like, you know, there's no way that this man is even close to his sweet spot right now just because he's been so off and he's reaching levels that, goodness, I think both of them had experienced once they were traded to San Diego last year. But so, of course, I pulled up just to peek at it and his ground ball rate. It seems like everything he hits is on the ground right now. His ground ball rate is tremendously higher than what it used to be. Um, and so I was just like, yeah, you know what, this is, uh, this sounds very familiar to what I'm sitting here watching of how desperately players are trying to find that sweet spot. They don't want to hit it into the ground. They don't want to be under it. And that's all he's doing right now. Juan Soto has found a way out of that. It seems at least for right now. Um, but when Juan Soto gets going, it doesn't seem like it's easy for him to just fall off the face of the earth now. Well, it seems like he usually is somebody who, once they get there, they can take it and run with it. That's what we saw at the beginning of his career. Went through this skid. It'll be interesting to see how he responds to the skid. Can he continue and just keep rolling? Does he have some struggles and setbacks again and have to adjust again? My guess is, is he's going to keep rolling. There's going to be way more Sarah stories about what Juan Soto's doing this year, how crazy it is that he's doing it this year. Um, I see all the insane stuff about Ronald Acuna Jr. right now. I feel like there's a headline about him every other day on MLB.com's main site about this dude's insane. Is there a 40-40 season? Is there this? Is there that? I don't think it's going to be long before we start seeing Juan Soto up there a lot saying, do you see what he's done since X date? Do you see what he's been doing in this time? Is Juan Soto back for good? Like, I'm expecting all of these headlines to be churning out. And of course, 90% of them will be written by you. But um, I'm <laughs> expecting all of these to continue to roll out now that he's reached this point because he's just that elite level of athlete that when they click on, they finally get there. And I don't know why my head's going to like Brooks Kepka right now because I feel like that is just as opposite of any sport that you can get. But like how in golf, like he sort of fell off the face of the earth, but you know he's this elite level. And I was super into Full Swing, which was the Netflix documentary about all these different guys. And, like you know, and I don't want to just say PGA because there's the live tour now, but regardless, golfers, professional golfers, um, and watching him struggle. And they showed his struggle, the mental side of it. And you know he's the elite of the elite. And then all of a sudden he turned a corner and then he went on a rip and a tear and it seemed like he's winning everything now. So I feel like there's that level of athlete, no matter what sport you're in, when they finally get back there after the lowest of lows, they'll keep chugging. And so somehow Juan Soto comp to Brooks Kepka today. That is not what I had on my uh, bingo card, but here we are. So <laughs> I love it. Um, speaking of people and teams on a roll, I'm going to uh, go for the transition here to the Rangers, who we talked about early in the year. It is no secret that I'm a huge fan of Bruce Bochy, Hall of Famer. Um, lucky enough to know him a little bit and just was so glad to see him back in the game managing this year. And, I, you know, when that happens, when he joins that team, you know he's not doing that to manage the last place team. You know that he's not coming out of retirement to do all of this to, um, to bottom feed. That's not what Bruce Bucci is here to do. But I do have to say that we are now at Memorial Day and the Rangers have overperformed what I had expected which again was not about him or them specifically. It was just about the division and how I perceived the division might go. But, you know, there's still some games going on today as we speak. But no matter what happens the rest of the day, through Memorial Day, the Texas Rangers will be in first place in the LS where they've been for a handful of days this year. And they have a plus 128 run differential. I mean. That is the best run differential in baseball. And they're through, let's see, they are 
34 and 19 right now, which means they've played 53. Can I just like, just just for perspective, today, Memorial Day on Monday, we're recording this later in the afternoon. Guardians Orioles has already finished up. The Guardians have just won by more than three runs over an opponent for the first time since opening day. And you're sitting oh here throwing gosh. out a plus 128 run differential. And I'm like, what is that number? That's insanity. Well, I have more Please. for you there. So, again, they're through 53. Now, through 50 games, they were at plus 122. That was the 11th highest run differential through the first 50 games of the season since 1900. And... You know, I was chatting with Kenny Landry, who covers the Rangers for us at MLB.com. And initially, I sent her the list for since 1940. Here, we talk about qualifiers again. Because if you go since 1940, you have the 2016 Cubs, then the Rangers, and then the 1946 Red Sox. Okay, they're second since 1940 and run differential in the first 50 games. But then I look at it, and sometimes even a long list is still a really good one. So if you go since 1900, as I said, they're 11th. But let me read you just the names of the teams ahead of them. You have the 1929 A's, you have the 1939 Yankees, the 1902 Pirates, which was before the World Series even existed. 1912 Giants, 1905 Giants, 36 Yankees, there's 2016 Cubs, 32 Yankees, 28 Yankees, and 27 Yankees. Sometimes listing 10 other teams is okay. Because to be 11th on that list for basically every one of those teams, off the top of my head, I know it's historic. I know had multiple Hall of Famers, 2016 Cubs obviously being the more modern one. But that team was incredibly successful, especially to start the year. I mean, I know that those first, what, two games of the season, against the Phillies for the Rangers feature a lot of runs. And early in the season, I would look at the run differential and be like, okay, well, those games were kind of blows. You can't say that anymore. It is Memorial Day. Our friend and colleague, Mark Feinzen, says it is acceptable to look at run differential by now. Your run differential is not a fluke. It is not um, swayed or change in any way at this point by one game here or there the rangers are really good i understand that baseball if you have a really good team everybody has to be contributing like that's when you get to be this type of level where they have the second best record in baseball type of deal i i understand that you can't have like a lebron james on your team that just carries you or whatever it may be but i i don't think it's as common as you would think that everybody is contributing at the same time it just always seems like there's one or two guys who are always going through it whenever everyone else is clicking or the offense may be struggling a little bit here but the pitching staff is just lights out so if the other team can't score if you can just get a run or two on the board you're fine you collect wins what's been impressive about the rangers is it's everybody is doing well at the same time And it seems like that's such an obvious statement, like, no, duh, that's how they're winning. But it just doesn't (laughs) seem like that happens where everyone is contributing at such an elite level at all times. Someone has to trade off. And you look through, like, the splits and stuff of their team splits and the production they're getting at each spot in the lineup. And, okay, maybe the production dips once you get down to the nine spot. But, goodness gracious, when it's consistently receiving stuff one through eight and everyone's numbers are okay maybe if your average dips down to 240 their OPS is still creeping up towards 800 from that spot everyone's either hitting over 300 having it at least an 800 900 OPS I that's 
the championship level type of team. That's a playoff type of team. And I know it's only May 29th as we're talking right now. And this is a marathon. So yes, they can all be clicking for the first few months of the season and then hit some struggles. And it might not be the same team that we're talking about in September, but the foundation is clearly there. They have the track record that they've built this year. So if they do go through struggles, they have something to lean on where they look back and say, look, we've been better than this. We know what we can be. So let's just get back there. It's not like they're starting off slow and trying to form their identity. Their identity is formed now and they just need to try to run with this as long as they can. And it's been really impressive to watch. I know we talked about Nathan Evaldi a couple weeks ago when he was on that pitching streak. So he pitched today, Monday, and he ends up finishing May in 37 and two thirds innings. In 096 ERA. Jeez. I mean, just outstanding now. I'm looking at Rangers history. Guys make five starts in a month and have an ERA that low. And I have to say that I've forgotten about how good Martin Perez was last year for them, especially early in the year. In May of last year, he made six starts with an 064 ERA. Wow, I didn't realize so, that. May is apparently their month. I do remember Dolores Garcia getting off to that great start, I believe. I guess that was two years ago now. He set a Rangers record for home runs in a month by a rookie. That's off the top of my head, but something along the lines of that. But they have just, as you said, gotten full contributions. And again, this is a team that hasn't had Jacob DeGrom pitch for them in a few weeks now. And for Nathan Valdi to be playing the role of Jacob DeGrom, but also playing the role of himself, and just being the pitcher that he can be at his absolute best, it's been really fun to watch him. The Astros have certainly looked better lately. They did not return to being the Astros in all caps the way I thought they might as quickly as I expected them to. You know, teams get off to slow starts. I was sort of thinking by the third week of the year they would look like themselves. It took them a bit longer, but even still, this division is fascinating. Now, the team that I'm really waiting on here and you know, I want to see get it together, and they have at times, but they're now above 500. They're about to play the Yankees. We'll see how that will go is the Mariners, who are currently, as of our recording, in third place. That should be the case no matter what by the end of the evening. They've played better lately. They had a great walk-off home run from Eugenio Suarez on Sunday. But early in the year, they were losing a lot of games that seemed winnable. And I really thought this was going to be the Astros running away with the division, the Mariners giving them a bit of a run for their money, and then the Rangers in third, and look at what it is right now. This is why they play the game, you know? Exactly. And we're, okay, we're going to take a quick break right now. We'll come up with our favorite moments in baseball for our favorite segment of the week. Um, so I'm going to need a minute because I actually need to think about mine a little bit more because everything that we talked about with Brett at the top of the show here, all of that was going to be my favorite moment of the week because it was awesome. So give me a second. Let me think about it. And when we come back, we can reveal ours. Welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I'm Mandy, that's Sarah, and our wonderful producer, Alana Schreiber, will be starting our favorite segment of the week now that she is back from a wonderful trip outside of the country. She was down in Columbia, back now. And even though she was not really uh, immersed in the baseball world right now, you still have a moment, which is impressive for me. So do you have a favorite moment from baseball despite all of your travels? I do. And like you, I was really nervous I was going to come back here today and just be like, no, I was too out of the loop. I don't know what's going on. 
not so. So just the last few days, the Mets have been playing the Rockies. And I used to live in Colorado. I love Coors Field. I spent a ton of time there. And one of my favorite memories of Coors Field is Mary the Usher. So there's this famous usher at Coors Field named Mary Odell. She's about 85, 86 now. The longest serving usher at Coors Field. And she is a freaking celebrity. Like any time of year, her section is packed. It's where the player's family sit. It's where Dick Monfort sits. But also like you can't go more than two minutes having a conversation with her. Someone walks by. Oh my God, Mary, my sister's on the phone. She wants to say hi to you. Mary, can you finish my ice cream cone? I'm too full. Like, oh my God, Mary, are you coming to our family barbecue next week? Like she is just so beloved by everyone there. And so much so that I did a radio story on her back when I was working in Colorado. And it was the most, you know, popular radio story I ever did, not because people were excited to hear about Mary the Usher, but because all of these baseball fans were like, hey, look, there's a story about Mary. We all know Mary. She's just that much of a celebrity. So even though I couldn't go to the games the last couple days, my friends who still live in Colorado, who I introduced to Mary, my good friend Alex Hager, who is a big Mary fan, he went to the game. He went to Mary's section. And of course, she remembered him. She snuck him down to better seats. And she, you know, and I should also mention, like, she's tight with the players. She has gone on road trips with Charlie Blackman that she will tell you about. So, oh my gosh, wow, you know, she's five feet tall, she's got a wonderful, squeaky voice, and it just makes me so happy that she was the big celebrity of the ballpark when I was there. She still is now. I've been to 17 out of the 30 ballparks, and it that not all of them, but more than half, and I feel like every stadium kind of has something about it that makes it a little special or a little different. And Chorus feel that something special is Mary the Usher. I love that. That is amazing. I wish I knew about her when uh, the All-Star game was there. I would have made sure to meet her, but sounds like I got to go back now, which is, by the way, how I feel every time I watch a Rockies home game. Like, it was so beautiful and that All-Star game in 2021 was the first and only time I've been there. What a great ballpark. Yeah, absolutely. I was at that All-Star game too. That's actually when I met Mary. I was introduced to her by Jillian Jibe, who had just become the Rockies' first female scorekeeper. And I like to keep score too at games. So we compared notes and then Mary snuck us down to better seats because I remember so specifically at the very beginning, she said, who's your favorite player And I in the All-Star game? And I said, Pete Alonso. And right before he was batting, she signals, come here and brings me down to the front row so I got to see Pete hit up close so oh my god she's she's the best she's super special and if you just google Mary Rockies stories will come up <laughs> we need more Marys in life Mary seems we awesome do. all right Sarah do you have one I do and I will continue the uh, good vibes so today on Monday Memorial Day there are three really really cool uh comeback stories that we can talk about so the first and probably the most publicized is Liam Hendricks. He was activated today by the White Sox after dealing with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He's back. He is ready to pitch. I mean, it's just incredible. It's one of those stories that keeps on giving. And this would be incredible for anybody. But Liam Hendricks was already one of those absolutely known to be a good guy kind of players and to see him and the way he has approached this and his understanding of sort of his place in the world uh, which is something I identify with a little bit too the idea that people are looking to you looking for some sort of reaction inspiration he seems to really take that on in a inspiring way that I look up to and really appreciate. But he's not the only really cool comeback today. So Michael Soroka is pitching today for the Braves for the first time since August 3rd, 2020. He suffered two Achilles tears. He tore his Achilles in the game against Alana's Mets and then while rehabbing, tore it again. That is a really tough recovery timeline now. Another sport and slightly different injuries, but I think of Clay Thompson who had ACL and then Achilles. Anyone who deals with 
two separate tears of anything, two separate devastating injuries before getting back. It is really incredible for him to make it back at all. And by the way, he was a guy who got a Rookie of the Year vote back in 2019. He was a really great pitcher. He was one of my all-time like favorite players in 2019. He was my guy. I was very excited for him. I was actually at his MLB debut back in 2018 at City Field. And um, very excited for him. Again, excited for the person. And then there's one more, which is Royce Lewis of the Twins, who tore his ACL on this date. Let me get the uh, year correct one second. Yeah, a year to the day that he tore his ACL. He is back and hit a home run. I mean, it is absolutely incredible. And just to see him, he was a former top prospect for the Twins. He's been through a lot and been through so many injuries. So to see someone like that return and then hit the home run. I mean, as with Soroka, as with Hendricks, just seeing his name on the lineup card, seeing his name online is an incredible accomplishment in, on its own, right? Even if Liam Hendricks comes out and gives up a home run, even if Soroka does the same, it's still incredible. <laughs> but for Royce Lewis, who has a couple hours on those guys and has already played, to hit a home run, I mean, it's absolutely incredible. And any one of these stories on one given day would be amazing. For them all to be happening today, I mean, this is why we love baseball. Uh, I won't go with someone who's been back yet, but someone who's on the verge of a comeback. Let's how about that. Um, Tristan McKenzie still on Cleveland's injured list. He's in the process. He's about to make his third rehab start. He's closing in on coming back, blah, blah, blah. But even though he's not on their active roster, does not mean he's not present because he is. And not only is he present, but he is so active in Cleveland's community it is one of my favorite things um, because he's just such a good dude. And you always love running into good people. And he is by far and away one of them. And so after Cleveland's walk-off on Sunday at Progressive Field, I popped over to his locker because I thought he was responsible for putting the empty bubblegum container on Jose's head. I don't know if anyone had seen the pictures where he had the empty container on his head. Uh, apparently it was like both him and Josh Naylor. He said Josh Naylor deserves more of the credit. So I was like, all right, I just wanted to get a little backstory. I noticed this poster sitting on the ground by his locker and it looks like it was made by elementary school kids. And it said, thank you, 24 and like cut out letters and then a whole bunch of signed names by like little kids. And I'm thinking this looks so sweet. And I said, what is this? Apparently during spring training, he signed balls for a whole bunch of kids at a school. Um, I think it was an Akron-based school. I Don't hold me to that. Um, but he sent them a whole bunch of balls, and they came out to the game recently, and they gave him this poster as a thank you, and he's keeping it at his locker, and none of that surprises me. But my favorite part of it was saying, Tristan, this is so sweet. Like, I love this. And he said, hold on a second. And he stands up like a proud papa. And he reaches into his locker, pulls out this pristine type of like envelope so that nothing inside would be bent, creased, anything. And he pulls it out so gradually to make sure that there's no fingerprints, no creases in it. And it's this picture that had been printed out from the school of a collage of photos of all the kids in the seats during his game and how excited they were to be there. And who knows if this was their first time out. He brought them all out, of course. And then all of them posing for photos with the poster that they made him. And he's holding this like, look at what they did for me. And he's holding it like this proud dad that's like showing off pictures of his kids to people. And he was just so proud to show me that. And I'm like, my heart is melting. This is so nice that you did something um, like this. And then we're so proud of the kids coming back and giving you all the thanks back. So I thought that moment was just like too wholesome to even handle. So I had to highlight it. I love that his approach was look what they did for me. When most people would see that as look what he did for them. 
That is amazing. And while you were talking about that, I was reminded of something else. I'm just going to say. Of course you are. Because it's also Guardians. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure you have more backstory to it. I actually meant to send it to you on Instagram last night, but it was very late. But um, Andres Jimenez wearing, was it yesterday on Sunday? He wore cleats that had been, he has a community project, right? in Cleveland, where it's Andre's art or something, you'll tell me the exact, but all I knew from the video I watched was that there was a kind of competition at Guards Fest for a bunch of kids to design uh, cleats uh, for him to wear, and then he selected one of the designs, and it was this 10-year-old girl, and they had a video of her drawing it, on the paper at Guards Fest, and then they showed the actual cleats, and they had her talking about it, and him talking about how impressed he was. And they're beautiful, but I just thought that was so cool. And he also looked so proud as he was talking about it. She was like, I don't understand. She's an artist. They were awesome. They were so cool. Google it if you haven't seen the photos of them, because they were really awesome. Um, like you said, he, he wanted to, in his spare time, he likes to draw. I, I didn't realize that until they started to come up with these things about what can he do in the community? And he's like, I want to do something with art. And so he does, um, art, art with Andres and that's his, his charity. Now he's already visited one school this year, if not more, but at least that they've only shown us is that he's gone to one school and done an art class with the kids and, and they're, and they're all sitting around the table and he's drawing with them. It's so sweet. Um, but yeah, he, he did this competition. He wore them once during spring training and then he was going to wear them during the season. And she came out, she threw out the first pitch yesterday in wearing her own cleats. The guy who makes the cleats, um, he's a local like shoe designer and glove designer. He does all this type of stuff. And he made her her own pair so that she had her pair. So she was wearing them when she threw out the first pitch and then Andres wore them in the game. So I was hoping, because I love a good wholesome story, that he would have been the hero. So I was like, let me go write about the cleats, the power of the cleats. Didn't happen. Jose stole the show, but that's all right. That's fine. Um, but yeah, that was so, so awesome. And I'm glad you brought that up because that little girl was so sweet and she was so proud of her design. And Andres was so proud of it, too. And uh, he was part of the judging process of figuring out which design he would end up wearing. And clearly she deserved it. She killed it. So glad you brought that up. But on that note, I think that'll do it for this week's podcast. Um, let's go back to the top of the show here. Thank you so much to Brett Blue Eyes for joining us and telling us all the fun that these players have had at headquarters, it seems like, over the last few weeks. Oh, my goodness. All those stories are so much fun to follow. All the things have been so much fun to watch on uh, social media. So thank you for giving us a little behind the scenes of that. Everyone else, please don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or you have any suggestions for us at all, please leave us a rating and a review. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, and we'll see you next week.